Okay, grab your Bible. And what book are we turning to? First Peter again. Yep. We're going to be in First Peter all week in the morning chapels. And from yesterday, just to review, we are asking a question about games, right? Like when I play a board game, I want to know how to win the game, right? And so we're using that idea to walk through First Peter and ask, how do I win the game of life? And yesterday we said we will win the game of life if we are born again. If you remember when Christ causes you to be born again, you have a living hope. You have an inheritance that can never be changed and you have inexpressible joy. And so that sounds like winning the game to me, you know? When I win a board game, I'm pretty happy, but that fades away, you know? The next time you play and you lose, you're like, oh, man, that's not as fun. Once you're born again, that's yours forever. You can never have that taken away from you. Amen, that's right. I don't know where that came from. The lights are bright up here, but somewhere back here. I appreciate you, I appreciate you. So today we're gonna keep answering that question. How do you win the game? And today you can see it in your booklets. You win the game by being children of the Heavenly Father. By being children of the Heavenly Father. So Peter is not trying to trick you with the illustration he's using, okay? There's no hidden meaning here. When you are born, you are a child, right? Like a baby is born, life comes into the world, there's a child. Spiritually, when you are born again, you are now a child of God. And because you're his child, there's certain ways you're supposed to live your life with God as your father. And it's actually really important as a child of God that you live like a child of God. If there's one way for you to sacrifice or to give up the joy that is yours as a Christian, it's to live like you're not a Christian. Now, just because you get born again doesn't mean that your sin nature goes away. In fact, the rest of your life will be a struggle to live as a child of God, to live out what has happened inside of you. When you went from death to life, now the goal of your life, the responsibility you have is to live out what God has done in your heart. And Peter is gonna tell us some ways that we can do that. So this morning, we're gonna look at three ways that you live out being a child of the Heavenly Father, okay? So let's look at 1 Peter 1, and we're going to start reading in verse 13, and we might just read all the way down through verse 21. So if you have a copy, make sure you turn there and you're following along. If you don't have one, maybe look next to you. Maybe one of your neighbors has one. You can try following along, reading along as I read out loud, okay? 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 13. Therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy." And if you call him father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear 
throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Wow, a lot of good stuff here. Okay, now number one in your notes, how do we, what's the first way that we live out being a child of God? The first thing we do is we set your or set our hope That's the blank in your booklet. Set your hope fully in God's grace through Christ. Peter gives us a couple of ways that we are to set our hope, but we have to understand what hope is for a moment. Hope is an expectation of something in the future, and it can be a very confident expectation of something in the future. It's something that you think about and you're looking forward to. You hope that it happens, but it's not just a wish It's a confident expectation that something is coming in the future. And this is a command for the believer that you are to set your hope fully on what God is going to do for you eternally, someday when you are in heaven with him, on the grace that he gives you that gets you into heaven. Where this takes place is in your mind. There's not an app on your phone that you wake up in the morning and you, okay, I want to set my hope on Christ's grace. So you have to, you know, click a couple of buttons on your phone. Boom, I did it. Okay, great. It's not setting your Facebook or Instagram or something to a certain status. Where setting your hope happens is in your mind. It's a way of thinking as you live your life. It's thinking in a wise way, thinking with God's perspective in mind. And that's actually what he describes in verse 13. Look at that again. There's two descriptions of how you set your mind, okay? Preparing your minds for action, or your translation might say girding up your mind, and then being sober-minded. Those are the two descriptions. So let's talk about those for a moment. The first one, preparing your mind for actions, or girding up, that is actually a very specific word, and it's like pulling up your pants, okay? Now, I don't know about you, But sometimes, if I forget to bring a belt with me, that's a problem. You can't run around quickly if your pants are falling down, right? That's a problem. You're going to go play some games in a little bit. You want to make sure your shorts or your pants are tight. You're trying to move quickly. You're trying to be decisive. You want to win the game. You can't have your pants falling on the ground, right? That's actually exactly what this word means. To gird up is to pull up clothing and cinch it. So it is tight and it's not in the way of your feet. Now what Peter is saying is that we need to do that, but it's not a physical thing, it's mentally. You prepare, you gird up your mind. He's saying that you need to be decisive and clear in your thinking. That is a way that you're setting your hope. It's that in your mind, you're directing your thoughts to truth. And that's very similar to the second description sober-minded. Now, the idea of sober, you know, when someone drinks too much and they get drunk, we call that in sobriety. Someone is drunk. To be sober is to be controlled. 
He's saying mentally, the way that a Christian thinks needs to be prepared and it needs to be controlled. You don't want to be out of control. You don't want to be thinking about tons of random or wrong things. You want to be very decisive in the way you think as a Christian. And that is how you set your hope on something. You actually think about the correct and the true things. You meditate on what is right and what is true, what God has said. I think there's two primary ways as a Christian that you would practically live this out. One is reading. Now, I know with a bunch of like junior high people, oh, reading, I don't like to read, I wanna just go shoot hoops, okay? Now, when I was your age, with the exclusion of the counselors in the room, when I was your age, all I wanted to do was play football, okay? That's all I wanted to do. Me and my buddies would go to one of our houses, go out to the backyard, and we would, this is, you know, Southern Iowa for you, we would just throw the ball to one person, we're practicing tackling. We're just like, here, your turn, smack, okay? Like, that's what we did for fun, okay? And it was like, who can hit the hardest, okay? I wasn't reading a lot of books, okay? And I certainly wasn't reading the Bible. But if you want to set your hope You want to have a confident expectation on what God has promised you in the future. The way that you direct your mind is is read. And specifically, it's to read the word of God, to know what the Bible says. We're going to look at that again tomorrow morning because Peter brings it up again. It's that important. But we need to be reading good things. We need to focus our minds on the truth of God's word. And a second way that we do that A second way that we prepare our minds, we remain sober-minded, is to pray. With God's word, God's truth in our minds, we're thinking about it, we then communicate back to God and we pray to him, talk to him about what he said to us. Now, you're going to hear people say that for the rest of your lives. Read your Bible and pray, read your Bible and pray. There's not something magical about just reading. That's where the prayer really comes in. Your devotional time in the morning isn't just about checking a box off that you actually read it. Oh yeah, I prayed for five minutes, great, I did it. That's a time where you meet with God. He speaks to you and you hear his words by reading and you speak to him. He's real, he's a person just like I'm a person. He wants to spend time with you. And the way that you do that is you read his word and you pray. There's not magic in reading, but there's the presence of God at work when you read his word and you cry out to him in prayer. God uses that time to change you. And as a child of God, you can't live a life full of joy without that. You can't live a life separate from your father and expect to have the blessings. So how do you win the game? It's really simple. You gotta prepare your mind. You have to be sober-minded. You need, you need to prepare your mind this way and set your hope on his truth. Now, there's one time in my life that I think really magnifies this idea, and it's kind of silly, but okay, whatever. We had pizza for breakfast, right? How many of you like pizza? Oh, yeah. These are my brothers and sisters here. We love pizza, okay? Now, a couple of years ago, I mentioned yesterday I like to hunt. A couple of years ago, I went on an elk hunting trip. 10 days backpacking in the mountains of Idaho. 
Everything I had was on a backpack on my back, and we hiked up into the mountains. I think uh, the first couple of nights, our base camp was around 6,000 feet of elevation, which all of y'all from Iowa, that's way up there, okay? And then a couple of nights later, we decided, well, we need to really go up into this next ridge, and that was around like eight to 9,000 feet. And so, you know, it's just, it was great, okay? But the last meal I had before we went out to the mountains, I was in Pocatello, Idaho. We were in a janky little hotel, and there was a Pizza Hut across the road. And so we got Pizza Hut the night before we went into the mountains. And then you start hiking out in the mountains, and you know what I started thinking about after like day one, day two? I'm like, man, I want some pizza. All I could think about was a large stuffed crust pepperoni pizza from Pizza Hut. Every night when I went to bed, I was thinking about a large stuffed crust pizza from Pizza Hut. Okay, I know that's weird, but this is me, okay? For 10 days, I'm just thinking, because you know what you're eating in the mountains? You're boiling water and you're eating one of two things, like oatmeal, protein bars, or like we had some of these mountain meals where you pour the boiling water in and stir it up, freeze-dried meals. And some of those, after a long hike, are really good. But man, they're not a large stuffed crust pizza from Pizza Hut, let me tell you. We got to the end of the hunt. We're a couple of days away from packing out. We're, start, we, we're planning our exit, okay? We're gonna go back down to the base camp, pack the truck, and then from there, we're gonna go back into town. And the first thing we did, I was with two other dudes, Luke and Levi. First thing we did when we got cell reception, what's the nearest Pizza Hut? I thought about that for days. I was hoping that there was a Pizza Hut close. And I knew, man, when I get off this mountain, I'm gonna get me some Pizza Hut. But it dominated what I thought about. I thought about it all day, all night. Well, maybe not all day, all night, but you know, every time I'm eating one of those meals, I was thinking about pizza, okay? That's what this is like. How you think as a Christian will direct your life. It is vitally important as a child of God, if you are born again, to set your hope fully on his grace. And the way that you do that is in your mind. You have to think about his word. You have to be controlled by the truth. And that is something that you process mentally. It's not something you necessarily do externally. He's saying to set your mind on the truth. That's the first way we live out being a child of the heavenly father. Now let's go to number two. And this is to be holy like God is holy. To be holy like God is holy. And let's look at the verses again. If you look at verse 14, we're gonna read 14 and 15 and 16 and 17 again. Maybe just through 16. So verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So what is holiness? Holiness is an attribute of God that really is like perfection. That he has no error, no fault, that he is absolutely set apart, distinct from everything else. So is this saying that I need to be perfect? As a Christian, is my goal to be perfect, to never make mistakes? And I don't think that is the idea here. The reason I know that is because 
God knows as humans that we are sinful. Even after we're born again, our sin nature doesn't just go away. He actually knows how deeply depraved and sinful we are. He knows it better than we know it. There's times in life where I think I'm doing everything right, and then a couple of days later, I'll look back and realize that I was motivated incorrectly. The anger or bitterness or lust was at work in my heart. I don't always see that, but God sees that, and he does not expect you, knowing that you're a sinner, to be perfect. That's impossible. What he wants you to do is to be changing as a child of God. The moment you place your faith in him and he causes you to be born again, you start a process here in this life and it's called sanctification. It's a slow day-by-day process where God, through his word and his spirit, wants to make you into a different person. It doesn't happen overnight. It's slow and progressive, okay? And that same process is being accomplished by the world we live in. And you can see that if you look at the first line of that verse, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Maybe you know Romans 12, and it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Interesting that that comes up there, came up here too, the mind. We need to be changing to be more like God, not to be perfect as God is perfect but God wants to create the character of his son in you. Now this starts with your salvation. You as a sinner, we as sinners, are given Christ's perfect righteousness. That we call justification. He gives us his righteousness as he took the wrath of God for our sin on himself on the cross. It's a beautiful transaction. He got our punishment We got his righteousness. That is the gospel. When you believe, you are declared righteous. But then starts the process where God wants to slowly transform you. And as his child, we have two routes we can take each day. We can live according to our own desires. We can live according to the desires of this world. We can act upon sinful desires that work inside of us. Or, as an obedient child, we can, instead of being conformed to our passions and our sinful desires, we can seek after God through his word and the spirit, and he will transform us. And that actually does include failure. Many days, I realize, Charlie, (laughs) right now, you're not being an obedient child of God. You are living out a sinful desire. You're, you're saying things, you're doing things, you're thinking things that are motivated by your sinful heart. And if you want to be an obedient child of God, Charlie, you don't want to be conformed that way. You need to yield to your father and live how he wants you to live. You win the game when you live like that. And here's why. Jason and I have both talked a lot about joy, right? Right? this happiness that transcends our earthly circumstances, joy. Now, in Galatians chapter five, there's a list of the fruit of God's spirit. Any of you ever read that before? The fruit of God's spirit is love, and what's number two? Joy. Now, 
If I'm living as a child of God and I'm not yielded to God and his spirit, but I'm being conformed by my passion, the spirit of God cannot be producing that joy in my life. As God's child, if I am not yielding to him and living a sinful lifestyle, joy will not be produced because that is a fruit of the transforming process in my life. I have the fruit of joy in my life when I live yielded to God's word and his spirit. And Peter is telling them here, as an obedient child of God, you do not want to be conformed to the former passions of your sinful nature. You want to yield to God's spirit so that the joy can be produced. You want to live a holy life, a distinct life, not one of perfection, but one where you are yielded to God's word and his ways so that he can produce that fruit in your heart. If you want to win the game while you're living here on earth, you want to have love, right? You want to have joy and peace and patience. Nobody, nobody doesn't want those things. Everybody wants to have a life full of love and joy and peace. And as a Christian, there's one way to have that. That is a life that is transformed by Jesus Christ. And once you are born again, you now have a daily task to live that out by not being conformed, but being transformed. And that is engaging in the word of God and yielding to God's spirit at work inside of you. You wanna win the game, you need to live a holy life. You need to let God's spirit transform you. Now, I have there letter B, We're not gonna turn there, but you could go over to Romans 12 and compare this. Very similar ideas of being conformed or being transformed, okay? Now, number three. Three ways we live out being a child of God. We set our hope fully in God's grace. We are holy like God is holy. And number three, we fear God. We fear God. Now, how many of you have heard someone say to you, you need to fear God? Have you you heard that before? Okay, there's some hands out there. In the Old Testament in the Bible, this is a very common idea, to fear God. It's not like afraid, like you're afraid of the dark, you know, like you're scared in a sense. That's a part of it. A better way of thinking of this would be like respect or reverence. Like you respect who he is. And that is understanding that he is powerful and could squash you the moment he wanted to. He's the creator God. He's all powerful. That's a part of it. But it's a respect for who he is. It's very similar to a father. Now, when I was a kid, your age, my dad was like my biggest enemy, okay? We did not have a great relationship. I did not fear him. I did not respect him. When my dad would tell me to do something, I'm like, I don't need to do that. I'm gonna live my own life. There was no respect. And a lot of Christians can treat God, our Heavenly Father, that same way. Now, if you follow the illustration of being a child, you don't want to be a disobedient child to the Heavenly Father. That's the illustration, the metaphor that Peter keeps using. You saw him say that at the beginning of verse 14, right? As an obedient child, don't be conformed. Look at what he says in verse 17. Look at verse 17. If you call on him as father. Another way of saying that, are you born again? 
If you're born again and you call God your dad, he is your heavenly father. Now, the metaphor, he caused you to be born. That makes him the father. (laughs) If you've turned to him and asked him for forgiveness of your sins, you've trusted him and he has caused you to be born again, you are now his child. If that's true of you, what should you do? If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. The idea there is if he's your father, treat him like your father. Respect him. Consider what he wants for you first, not second or last. Respect him when he tells you to do something. Do you care? With my earthly father, I could have cared less. Now, it wasn't always like that. My dad and I, he, we both were not Christians, and then eventually we both were, and he became my best friend. That's an awesome thing. But before I was a Christian, my earthly father was like, I could care less what you say. I don't respect what you say. I don't want to make my bed. I don't want to take the trash out. I never listened because I didn't fear him. I didn't respect him. How many days of your life as a Christian do you treat the Heavenly Father that way? Just think about that for a moment. If you know you're born again, you've trusted Christ to be saved from your sin, He's your Father. How many days do you go through life and you do not care at all what He wants for your life? Now, if I'm being honest... That's a lot of days. (laughs) When I wake up in the morning, I don't naturally, oh God, what do you want today? My flesh kicks in very easily every day. I struggle with sin, just like you, we all do. There's a battle going on inside of us because of our sin nature and the new nature that God has produced in us. It is not easy to follow God as your heavenly father. It's actually really difficult. We have a responsibility as his children to recognize that that struggle is happening and respect him first. That doesn't mean that all my other desires go away. Doesn't mean that all my struggles or difficulties just vanish. They stay. As his child, I'm asked to choose his ways above all the others. I'm supposed to respect him above everything else. Above my friends, above my desires, above my goals, above my ambitions. Does it matter what I want out of life? Might be great things. They're all second to what God wants. That is what fearing him is like. To respect him first. And the Bible actually tells us why we do that. It tells us what motivates you to do that. And I love this verse. Look at verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. What motivates you to fear God? If you're struggling to respect God as your heavenly father, do you just need to try harder? You just need to grit your teeth and do it anyway. Or do you need to think about something? 
Well, the Bible actually says you need to start with thinking about something. If you're struggling to respect God as your heavenly father, you need to think about Jesus Christ's blood. Did you catch that there? You live your life with fear, knowing that God redeemed you, not with perishable, worthless things like gold and silver, which by the way, gold and silver in our world is very precious, isn't it? They're very valuable, very expensive. And God's like, those things mean nothing compared to the blood of Jesus. God himself, the same God who said, let there be light, and there was light. That God who created everything you've ever seen was born as a human so that his blood could be spilled in his death instead of yours. It was a perfect, spotless lamb that sacrificed its life so that you could be saved. It was his blood that caused the redemption of your sin. Man, I'm really struggling to obey God today. I don't want to do what his word says. Think about that blood. If you really know what was paid for you, that motivates you to follow the heavenly father. That's what Peter is saying here. You want to win the game. You must fear God. You must put his ways above your own ways. And if you're struggling to do that, you think about the gospel. And that's not for people who are unsaved only. It's for all of us. This is written for people who have believed. If you are born again and you struggle to obey what God's word says, you remind yourself of Jesus' blood. He gave his life for you. He laid down his life because he loved you. I, I can't figure that one out. I can't. You guys don't know me that well. I know myself really well. I'm not worth it. I'm a sinner. I lived for 16 years of my life. I could have cared less what God wanted, but you know what? He knew me before he made this world. And he knew you. He knew all of our sin. He knew everything we would ever do. And does he love you? You bet he does. You know how you know that? He shed his blood for you. Struggling to fear the heavenly father. Think about Jesus' blood that he died in your place on the cross. That's a really simple three steps right there. You want to win the game? You need to be, live out a child of God. Live out being a child of the heavenly father. How do you do that? You set your hope fully in God's grace through your thinking. You meditate and think and hope in the truth. You live a holy life that's not being perfect, but that's allowing God to transform you from the inside out, allowing God to produce the fruit of his spirit in your heart. That's yielding and submitting to him. And you fear him. You respect him above everything else. Three simple steps. I'm going to close in prayer. Now, here's what I want you to do just like yesterday. As I pray, I want you to think about these three things, okay? I want you to think about setting your hope, living a holy life, and fearing God. And as you think about that, stay with me. I know you're packing up. Stay with me, stay with me. You can pack your Bible up after we pray. You know that, right? 
It's not going anywhere. Stay with me. I'm going to pray out loud. But I'm inviting you. You can pray silently right where you're at. You should pray to God while I pray out loud. It's not a time just to think about the next activity, to listen to me pray. I want you to pray silently because if we all start praying, it gets a little crazy, okay? Pray about these things. You know, there's a a special thing that happens when you speak at Bible camp. We can see your eyes. We can see you looking up here and we can see when God's at work. I don't know how to explain it to you, but I can just see it as I look at some of you. I know that God, through his word, has spoken, you know, not audibly, but he's spoken to you through his word. I can see it in some of your faces. Please pray to God and talk to him about that as I close in prayer. If you realize that the things you think about aren't God's word, your your hope is in this world. It's not in God and his word and his truth and his promises. Talk to God about that. God, I want to do better at girding up my mind, at being sober-minded, reading your word and praying to you. If you realize that the way you're living your life isn't holy, you're participating in things or ways or practices that God's word says you shouldn't, guess what? He knows. (laughs) It's really hard to pull one past the God of the universe. He knows. Talk to him about that. Confess your sin to him. God, I haven't been living a holy life. Help me. He will. And if you realize that third point, man, I don't respect God. I haven't thought about his ways. I haven't put him first. Tell him that. (laughs) You know, one of the best moments in my relationship with my earthly father was when I realized how disrespectful I was to him and I went and apologized to him. That was the first big step in my dad becoming my best friend. We had never had an honest conversation with each other. I had never admitted I was wrong to him. I can remember vividly the first time I did that with my earthly father. And man, did that increase the joy and the beauty in our relationship. Just going to him and saying, Dad, I didn't respect you earlier, I'm sorry. (laughs) You should do that with your heavenly father. And sometimes I have to do it multiple times each day. Father, I I haven't respected you. I was living my own life. I was doing it my way and I see that now. Forgive me, help me, help me, Lord. Give me your grace to put you first, to fear you. As I pray out loud, if any one of those three things is true for you, I invite you, pray silently. You can talk to God about that right now. Just like yesterday, if, if God is doing that in your life and heart, I just ask Tell your counselor about it later, okay? Please do that. If, if you pray something like that today, God's working in your heart that way, pray here with us together and then tell your counselor about it later, all right? So let's pray. We'll close off chapel and then we'll head off from here. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. God, I'm so thankful that I'm your child. God, I'm so thankful that you tell me how to live my life as your child. And I know I often go astray. There's many days that I'm not obedient to you. And you're still loving and gracious to me. You're always merciful to me because of what your son, Jesus Christ, did on the cross. It's through his blood that I daily have cleansing of sin 
starting with my salvation, but then each day as I go astray, you bring me back through your grace and your mercy and you continue to transform my heart. God, thank you for each one of these people here today, for these campers, counselors, staff members that are in here. God, these three ways we've looked at today are necessary for each one of us and you're probably working in one of these areas or multiple of these areas in each one of our lives. God, I pray that you would give us faith to see things that we can't see on our own, that you would continue to open our spiritual eyes to see where you're at work in our heart and then God, that through your grace and your mercy, you would enable us to take steps of obedience that we cannot do on our own either. God, for the ones in here right now praying to you, crying out to you with prayers from these verses of needing to fear you, needing to live a holy life, needing to prepare their minds to set their hope on you. God, I pray that your spirit would continue to encourage them this week in your word, that we would all be made more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, as we spend time together fellowshipping and singing here at camp. God, as we dismiss from here to cabin time, I pray that you would bless their fellowship in their cabins. God, that you'd bless that time and use it for your honor and your glory. We pray in your son Jesus' name, amen.